It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now what do you get when you mix the mother of all movie genres with the mother of all music genres? Why you get Deathgasm. Heavy metal! Oh man, how much fun uh, is this movie? I, I swear to God, just watching parts of it, and, and we'll definitely get more into it as the podcast goes on. But I'm gonna be upfront. Uh, musically, this movie is fucking fantastic. I, I loved all the bands. I loved the references, and we'll definitely get into it more as we go through the episode. But this movie really surprised me, to be honest. It was something that I had saw on Reddit quite a while ago. Uh, well, almost a year ago, to be exact. And I was very interested into it. Like, I... It's one of those weird things where it's like, well, of course, heavy metal and horror movies, they mix together so well. Any type of metal, screamo, grindcore, black metal, death metal, Christian... Bl- no, not Christian black metal. They don't mix at all. But honestly, if you had to pick a genre of music to match to any type of horror movie that's out there, it's got to be metal music. I'm sorry. Hands down, that gives you the imagery that you need, that gives you the feelings that you need, and it definitely is a lot better than adding some type of hip-hop track to it. Or anything else. I mean, you can use music as... I'm more of a joke, I guess. You know, you throw in some Sonny and Cher into a horror movie, you know something's going to go horribly wrong. Not just your earbuds exploding, but, uh, well, I kind of like Cher. But anyway, 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 uh, to get into it, and not to knock other genres of music, it's just when I think horror, I think of two things. I think of uh, really great, haunting, orchestral tracks, or I think of metal, hands down. That's where I'm going to go with this. So, to my surprise, when I first saw the trailer, I was ecstatic, because here you go, you're mixing heavy metal, and you're mixing mixing a a horror movie, and it turns out that it's more of a horror comedy than anything else. So, without further ado, let's have Brody tell us about how it all really started. You know that evil heavy metal that your parents hate you listening to? You know those lyrics about hell and doom? Demons ripping you new orifices to shit out of. What if I told you it's all real? I know. I was there. But wait, let's start at the beginning. It all started in Greypoint. 
middle of ass fuck nowhere. I had to shift here after my mum went on a massive meth bender and tried to suck off a Santa Claus in a crowded mall. Mum got sent to a mental ward and I got stuck with my uncle. So here we are. We're in this bumfuck of middle of nowhere in New Zealand. And mind you, um, I had a little difficulty with it. Now, it's weird because I work with Kiwis. Uh, that's part of the business that I do. But there are times where it is hard to understand them. Uh, just because of the accents that go through. And in this case, some parts of this movie were very difficult for me to understand. I ended up putting on headphones to listen to it, just so I can get a better feel of what they might be saying. And really, when I went to grab a lot of the audio for this, I understood more of those scenes than I had when I watched it. It's not like you can't get the gist of the movie. You'll get the whole thing and you'll understand everything that's going on because really plot is not the point of this movie. Uh, Even the way the movie starts, we never get back into this narrative inside Brody's head once we start going going through the rest of the movie. Now, there are parts of the film that, well, one part where you'll be like, okay, that's where it started, but it's never really mentioned again past that point. Like, it would have been cool to hear... A, and now we're here. You know, that would have been neat to to have it come back and then do whatever else you need to do with the movie. But that's not to fault other parts of the movie. It's just something that I wanted out of it. I, I was expecting it, maybe. And because it didn't happen, maybe then it's kind of cool. Or, you know, it's just kind of shit that, that you'd do that. You just forgot. Or maybe what was left on the cutting room floor and I just never noticed. Uh... But we'll move on from here. So it starts with Brody moving into this quiet little town. And he's going to live with his uncle because, as you heard, his mom was a meth head who went a little too cuckoo on the meth and did some very bad things to get her locked away. Now, the difference between him and his uh, uncle and his uncle's family is that he is a metalhead. And they are super, super religious. And it almost feels like, you know, they're trying to maybe convert him in some way or another. But he just, you know, he goes with the flow and he's going to be himself and he's going to be that metal kid in school. We also get another little insight into what's to come and we have another voiceover from Brody. I brought about the end of the world. Biggest dick move ever. That's pretty true. That's going to be a huge dick move uh, later on in the movie when it actually does happen. He also runs into his cousin, David, who's happening upon Dion, and he's beating the shit out of him and trying to stick his dice up his nose. Brody steps in and stops him from basically beating the shit out of him and torturing the poor little kid, and they have a little bit of a conversation when they're interrupted by the presence of Medina. Here's your dice. It's actually a die. Dice is the plural. Um, and it's a D10, but thanks. Jesus. Who's that? Oh. Medina Darcy. Number one cause of awkward boners in Grey Point. Uh, no, dude. What do you mean, no? No way, you're tapping that. Chicks like that, they don't go out with metalheads. They bang apes like your cousin. Forget her, man. At lunchtime, 
Do you want to do something completely badass? So, there's a couple things going on here, and you can really kind of tell the stereotypes in the writing, and it's one of the sides that I'm not too fond of. There's some really cool philosophy of metal in this movie, don't get me wrong, and we'll definitely get into that. But the stereotypical kid, he's kind of the loner, he's very unsure of himself, and metal is the answer for him uh, for every problem that he has. And then you go with, oh, well, you know, there's the hot chick, there's the hot blonde, and of course, she's not going to be into the metal guys because they're super awkward and weird, and nobody really digs the music. But there's plenty of metal chicks out there. Plenty of girls that love it. From really preppy looking girls to those badass black metal chicks. And you know who the fuck you are. It's really amazing that there's still this stereotype of Brody. And you do get the other stereotype, which we'll get into as soon as he shows up. But you have poor Dion here, who is definitely the biggest nerd of the field. Well, the film, not the field. Uh, <laughs> and we also get introduced to Giles, and the big thing that Dion wanted to show Brody was that the fact that they're playing D&D, which I guess back in the 80s was another big step, uh, staple of metal, really was that whole, you love dragons and fantasy, but that's more power metal than anything else, and... You know, I don't think everybody wants to sing about dragons and gods and fire, you know, and through and through the flames and playing that guitar really. You know, those types of metal bands. And they're all over the place from your grind cores to your, uh, you know, <laughs> like I keep mentioning black metal. I don't know why. Till your. <laughs> Logos that are nothing but a bag of fucking twigs that are on the ground. Metal is all-encompassing. So, it's weird to have this character that's totally unsure of himself in nowadays times. You know, in 2015, those metalheads, they do exist, but not all of them do. So, it's a weird stereotype that I'm not quite sure of. So, while they're having their D&D talk about trolls and everything like that, Brody puts on his headphones and he whisks himself to the magical land of metal that looks straight out of a Dio album cover. It's actually really cool. And then he grows some special powers in there. He's got Medina on his side and she's wearing the chain mail and the chain mail bra type things. And then he starts playing his... And... I lasers shoot from his fucking eyes and blow off Medina's bra, and there's your first boob shot of the movie. And we also get a, a nice medley of metal is the way. Yes, because metal is actually the way of this film. Everything is solved by fucking metal. And then all of a sudden, from the middle of nowhere, he's brought out of his daydreaming when he's shot by something from his cousin David and his cousin's friend. It's piss. They, they sprayed us with piss. Again! Oh, Paya's God is totally ruined! My friends are losers, my uncle keeps trying to christen me in my sleep, and I'm drenched in my cousin's bodily fluids. That's very lovely. And that's probably the least gross thing that's going to happen in this movie, to be completely honest with you. So, of course... They, you know, he goes off to class and he's caught drawing heavy metal images and the teacher reprimands him. But Medina's also in his class and kind of looks his way kind of lovingly, kind of, 
at least interested. But we did see Medina with David earlier in the film, so it's safe to assume that, hey, they're actually some sort of an item, and I wonder what's going to happen as the film progresses. So it then cuts over to what Brody calls the best place in the whole town, which is this little record shop. And he goes into the record shop, and he starts talking with the owner. Welcome to Alien Records. Now things, kid. Things are shitty. Check it out. Oh, Axon Sword Epic. Yeah, man. There's only one of 666 ever printed, numbered in blood by Ricky Daggers himself. Metal vinyls are over there by that kid. That's where we get introduced to our second stereotype in the movie. Because, I don't know about you, but when you do go to a metal show, you kind of get the two groups of people. You get the people that are there for the music and enjoy the music, and then you get the moshers. I'm not going to call them douchebags, because there are some douches in the middle of it, but they're mostly meatheads. That's kind of what we would have called them back in the day. So, Zach is that meathead. And, of course, his spell name is spelled with two Ks, just like Mr. Zach Wild. Coincidence? I don't think so. So, Brody, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with Zach? After I met Zach, my life changed. Mother was going to call me Storm, though. Brad. I know. He was a tornado of chaos, leaving a trail of destruction and teen pregnancy in his wake. Zach got expelled after stabbing a kid with a math compass because he stepped on his King Diamond tape. Or was it a set square? He used to help his dad out the car workshop, but mainly he just stole anything, not bolted on, and then unbolted the rest. So, as you can see, Zach's a dick. That, that's it. That's his stereotype. He is that meathead, kind of douchey metalhead. Right, But they click right away because they start showing each other records. And there is a funny joke in between because Brody accidentally pulls out a poison record and he looks at him and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? Why the hell are you pulling out a poison record? We're not talking about glam metal here. We're talking about fucking metal metal. Uh, You know, of course everybody loves Every Rose Has His Thorn. And what's that other song that they did? Oh, just need nothing but a good time. Uh, I mean, I fucking hate poison. Urgh. Anyway, <laughs> as I digress. So, they they kind of come into this relationship with each other, and they become blood brothers. They actually freaking slice each other's hand and uh, put each other's hand together, and they're now in that pact of always being there for each other. The Brotherhood of Steel to quote Judas Priest. Uh, And, you know, when going back into that little clip, I don't fault Zach for somebody stepping on his King Diamond album. Uh, That shit should be tried by murder. I'm just saying. But it's weird. In some of these, like, uh, lists I've seen out there, they consider a death, but I think he just stabbed the kid. I don't think he actually killed him. Moving on. So, since... Of course, that the, we know now that Zach can play bass. They decide, hey, we're going to start a band. Zach played bass. So we started a band. Hey, this is uh, Giles and Dion. 
Right, first things first, what are we called? Uh, murder boner? Toothed vagina. Oh, maggot spoon. Cannibal unicorn. How about like 13 S's, you know, like. Got it, got it. Death gas. All spelt in capitals. Lower cases for pussies. Cool. What about. I fucking said. Death was So, Zach is a very overbearing uh, type of personality in, in compared to Brody. Brody is very timid. He's very relaxed. He just likes his music and he kind of hates his life. But that's the way he is. Where Zach is the... What, what Brody is on the inside, Zach is on the outside. And what Zach is on the inside, Brody is on the outside. As you're sure to see as the film moves along. And it's a weird relationship between the two of them because, you know, Zach is so strong and so straightforward, but I guess it allows him to manipulate Brody a little more than Brody should be. So, and I should say those names, that I like the 13S's name because you got that one band with all the exclamation points and it's kind of neat, it's kind of original and to go like, we're going to go see, would be awesome because you're like a snake spitting fucking venom. A couple of those other names I could do without. Maggot. No, no, no. Anyway, so they play the music. They move on. There's a little bit in there where Zach is a little upset with uh, Brody because he couldn't quite play the, the melodies like he said it could play. But you have to understand that this guy, you just started doing this, and you are a little overwhelming, dude. So Zach decides to take Brody out, and he's going to take him to a house, and I guess they're going to rob it. Or something's going on. Brody's not sure. He's originally told to stay outside. But he decides that he's going to go and follow Zack inside the house. Upon following Zack inside the house, he learns a little bit more the reason why they're actually there. Man, these guys were legends back in the day. Check it out. Oh, Ricky Daggers. He was a maniac. Didn't he used to kill live rabbits on stage with a crowbar? No, man. It was a claw hammer. I wonder what happened to him. Spent all his money on coke, hookers, and Satanist shit. Last I heard, he was hiding out in some small, crappy New Zealand town. No fucking way. Yes, fucking way. <laughs> fucking way. Fucking daggers, man. No way. No way. No way. Come on, you're like the goth kids on South Park with that shit. So, there's this heavy metal legend, and you saw it in the Alien record store, and he showed him the record, and I can't remember the name of the band, because I couldn't read it quite right, because it, it wasn't quite Twigs, but it wasn't quite normal English. So, he's somehow found where the lead singer, Ricky Daggers, actually is, and he is in this town. And so they're basically going into the house to either maybe rob the guy or to maybe try to meet up with him and talk with him. Of course, they find actually find him and he's sleeping in one of the rooms and they think that he might actually be dead. Turns out that he's actually alive uh, after they try to steal the album that he's holding on to. 
because it's that album that there was only 667 versions of it made. And of course, he has the 667th one. He wakes up in time to stop them from robbing him, and he's not really that pleasant. What the fuck are you? Are you two cats doing it in my house? Let's get out of here, come on. Don't you fucking move! I answer you, didn't I? When are you occultist cunts ever gonna fucking earn? We're just, we're just middleheads. <laughs> we're fans. Where'd you find me? Latest death stream, dude. You were outed. Oh, fuck. Fuck! So, now there's cultists involved in this film. As we see as a car actually pulls up, and inside of it is some guy dressed up like one of the agents from The Matrix. He comes inside the house, and before he actually runs into everybody, Ricky Daggers gives the, the album to both Brody and Zack to watch and to protect. It's kind of weird, but maybe something's going to come up of it that we will find out in a little bit. So there's a little bit of a fight in between the guy with the glasses, the sunglasses, and Ricky Daggers. And ultimately, the dude wins, the cultist dude wins, and slices Ricky's throat open with a single razor. And it's pretty fucking brutal, because he cuts him really deep. And you get to see all the blood spurt out. And there's one thing that this film does that kind of gets me, but I understand maybe why they did it. But a lot of the times when the blood spurts, uh, it spurts directly into the camera and the camera gets covered in red. And its I know it's like an artistic choice or a choice for how you want to frame your shots and everything in the movie, but it's a little weird. I'm not used to having the blood spray directly to make it seem more brutal. I guess that's what it's all about, is this movie's supposed to be brutal as fuck. So, they run away, and uh, they figure out that... Well, I shouldn't jump ahead of myself here. Uh, we cut over to this really white house. And it's weird, because everything in the town is very kind of dingy and gray. And most of the movie is shot at night, so we're in darkness. But when we go to this house, who happens to be the leader of this cult that's been trying to find Ricky Daggers... It's very clean and very white and very bright and very happy. It's almost like the exact opposite of what most people view metal to be. And it's weird to see this room so fresh and so clean. And there is a little bit of talk in between uh, our killer here and the head of this organization. Baden. I found daggers straight to it. Not even a... How are things, Anne? You're direct. I've always liked that about you. Hey, on the pages. Black Hem. Hayden. Pages are just paper. Black Hem has absolute power. Please. Give it the reverence it deserves. Daggers didn't have it. The Black Hem. I think someone got to it before us. Oh. That's a shame. There was a break-in. The pages should be in grey point somewhere. I just need more time. Winners don't make excuses for their failures, Vaden. They learn from them. No, please. Take his fucking head off. And then off goes his head. We get a very, very funny scene. But it's so random that it's actually in there. And there's a lot of shit... That actually is going on. So they do cut off his head. 
and it spurts blood everywhere. And again, the blood comes at the camera and it rolls onto this carpet. And the, the main guy that was talking there, he starts yelling at his two henchmen saying, you, you put a tarp down first, you idiots. Do it again. And they both like look at each other like, what? And they're wearing these masks, but there's so much weird kind of awkward uh, motions to it that you get to see that in their face. Like, what? What do you mean? Do it again? And, and the way that they move their hands and the way that they put the head kind of back on, they put the tarp down over the bloody carpet and they do it again. It's weird. And, and that's not like the weirder thing in there. The other thing that's going on is that he's getting a beach the entire time. Some girl's head pops up and he shoves her head right back down to his lap. What, what the fuck is that? Like how, how is all this stuff happening at the same time? It's, it just boggles my mind and it's so fucking weird that I don't quite get while it's put in there. It's probably a little bit for shock value more than anything else, but that, that whole scene in in the masks, they're odd too. They're these kind of demonic masks that have no expressions on them and they're just kind of solid colors and it's weird again with the whole white room type of thing and the fact that this guy cares so much about his carpet i mean i guess it did bring the room together uh but really you're gonna ask them to kill a guy and you're gonna do it by surprise and there's no way for them to put down a tarp i'm sorry you're just gonna buy a new rug i mean you're a big evil guy right you you have money well of course you know who the pages of the black him are with they're with brody and zach and Brody looks over them and he kind of wants to understand them better. He knows that they're music. So they decide that maybe they can do something with that a little later on. But first, it's time for Black Death Metal music video. And it's weird. They're all painted up. Uh, Giles is the worst because his face paint is like that of Kiss. It's not that black metal uh, war paint that you normally see on these Swedish or Norwegian gods. Uh, you know, like a King Diamond type of face, if you have to reference somebody. But his is, you know, I think it's Paul Stanley's cat, is what it actually is. Even Dion still is a little more into it, even though he has the glasses over it. And he's kind of wailing on a Casio keyboard, not a uh, nice, you know metal keyboard and of course you know you got the best looking guys both in zach and brody and zach being the most badass and brody be kind of second so they do the filming and then they go to get uh pack everything up and they're approached by medina and he's gonna go uh you know get something from the store she's coming out and she actually asks him if he wants to have some ice cream so they go off together uh, leaving the th- three of them behind, and it's starting to prove that maybe metalheads can get chicks like that. But then you have to have these really awkward conversations. So, um, the other day in mass, uh, Mr. Capernost is such a dick. <laughs> I, um, I saved this. Well, I rescued it from the bin. You're a really good drawer. Like, really talented. I wish I could draw like that. Okay. Thank you. You know, I was, I was thinking about getting a tattoo. It would drive my dad 
crazy. <laughs> I should get you to design it. Maybe that's lame. No, of course. I mean, of course, I would help you design it. Not of course, I think it's lame. So, there you go. We have our awkward love interest of the movie. I mean, she's flirting really hardcore with him, but he's... <laughs> He's just in that awkward stage still of, oh my god, a girl actually likes me, I don't know what to do right now. And they get to talking, and you kind of get the feeling of how much Brody actually loves metal music compared to everything else. And he has a really cool, and this is probably my favorite little philosophy of metal in this movie. So you in a band? Yeah, I, um, I play uh, the guitar. I mean, X. Do you, do you like metal? Um, isn't it just a bunch of guys screaming? No way. Well, apart from grindcore. And death metal is kind of like that. And deathcore, screamo, porno, grind, black metal, <laughs> mathcore, thrash, and mortalcore, but apart from those. It's just not my thing. I don't really get it. It's like when life sucks and, and you feel alone and empty. Stick on some metal and... Life is better because because somebody else knows the pain and, and the rage that you're going through, you know? So that's kind of a cool... The end of that thing, that's a cool philosophy. And it's kind of true because you do... If there's one genre of music, and I know Brian Posehn actually says this best, and it's definitely totally true. If there's one genre of music where it feels like a brotherhood, it's metal. Every other genre, it's just something kind of cool to listen to. I don't mind, you know, rock kind of has similar philosophies, but, you know, it's more about the weirdness and the expression of the art. It's not necessarily about the community as a whole. I know when I go to a show and I go to a metal show, if you're in the pit, you get knocked down. The rule is you get picked up. That doesn't happen anywhere else. That only really happens at metal shows. Except for some punk, because there's a lot of cool philosophies within punk, as there are within metal. But the community aspect of everything is so much more in the metal community. And then when you do listen to the music, you know that you've got bonds with a bunch of people that you've never really talked to before. You can go, and if you guys like the same band, and you, you see a guy on the street with the same shirt... Nine times out of ten, especially in the community that we have here, somebody will say something about how cool that is and you automatically have some sort of connection with them. It's neat. I don't experience that with any other genre of music. And this film really kind of encapsulates that with all the choices that get made. Now, I do have to say something to Brody's statement about the bands that all growl. Because not every thrash metal band does growl. There's a lot of really cool power thrash bands that are more about the singing than they are necessarily the growling. It's not to say that it doesn't happen, but thrash itself is so broad that it doesn't have to have the growly voices that you can't understand. So, they talk, uh, they they leave, and uh, they uh, Brody looks more into actually playing the black hymn with the band. And when they play it, it sounds really early era Sabbath. It's kind of neat. Um, and you you get a feeling that uh, 
there's something that's going wrong with the outside world when you listen to it. And actually something kind of is because they pan outside and his uncle's trying to get him to stop playing the music and slowly but surely his face starts to change and it's kind of like zombified. And it's not until uh, Brody stops playing that those effects stop happening to the uncle and Zach again fucking bullies Brody. Dude, you choked again. Sorry, I am. Started panicking. You ever had that feeling where you can't breathe? Like there's a crushing weight on your chest and the room gets really small and your heart starts beating insanely fast? No, I never had that. Oh, I learned this one time. This chick grabbed my nuts too hard and my splooge came out red. Yeah, Zach, it's exactly like that. It's exactly like when your nuts get pulled and squozen together so hard that you come blood like a guar show. I... What? <laughs> There's nothing the same about it. It's it's like having a heart attack or having a panic attack. That's basically what Brody's having in this scene while he's playing that song. He knows there's something wrong with it, but at the same time, he wants to finish it, and he can't handle the weight that the song is bringing about him. So we pan to the next day, and man... Brody gets his ass handed to him, and it sucks. It's his cousin David that beats him up because he saw them together. He saw him and Medina together. And, you know, at the same time, we're also, before that, we're getting Brody looking more into what the actual wording of uh, the the notes on the paper are. And it has something to do with demons and power and everything like that. Uh, And, you know, after he gets his ass kicked, he goes home to to figure more out about the song but meanwhile we see zach in kind of a funny scene of him uh pulling gas uh siphoning gas actually out of an ambulance and medina walking up handing him a note and it's a note for brody so that brody can come uh, and meet her that night in the park at 9 p.m because you know she wants some of that sweet sweet uh metalhead tang well it wouldn't be tang right it'd be dick (laughs) (laughs) so he crumples up the note and throws it away like a huge fucking dick uh, brody's at home nursing his wounds and reading more into the black ham we then cut over into the evening and we find out that zach is even a bigger dick than i thought before zach where's brody told me to pass on a message not interested. Got other shit going on. That shit. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd come down and tell you. Save your wedding or not freezing your tits off, eh? Yeah, and maybe I tried to fuck you, which he does. Oh, God. Why does this need to happen? I understand it's more about Zach's character and kind of getting more into it and whatever you want to say, blah, 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 blah. But really, like, if he considers him such a friend, but he also considers him such a pushover, too. Like, Zach acts, or I should say Brody has no balls whatsoever. And he knows that he could just get away with this shit. So he fucks around with Medina just because he can. I should also mention that I, I totally forgot to talk about what happened to Brody's room. See, it wasn't just his ass that got kicked. 
they actually went into Brody's room and tore down all the posters and fucked everything up. So that made him want him even more actually finish the whole fucking hymn. And, well, he gathers everybody together the next day after Zack's fucked him over. But, of course, Brody doesn't know it yet. And I say yet because you know the way the movie's going to go. Like I said, it's still a little bit of a paper-thin plot. Uh, and we get the band together to actually play the black hymn. You gonna tell us who gave you the Shauna? My medicine. Let's just fucking do this. Dude, you know I have your back. Tell me who the hell fucked him up. I'm fine. All right, well, I'm gonna give you any more shit. I know a trick, all right? Point down at his zipper and say, ooh, gross, your cock's hanging out. And when they look down, boom! Punch them in the face. My dad taught me that. All right, ladies, from the top. Yeah, he totally has your back. Because he just went and fucked or messed around with the girl that you're totally fucking in love with. Oh yeah, I have your back, Brody. Hey, bruh, bruh, no, you know, bros before hoes, brotherhood of steel and all that type of bullshit. That's the fucking meathead, metalhead that he is. And again, I'm not saying every one of those, every one of metalhead is like this, but there are a lot of douchebags meatheads that are like Zack and it's it's just not fucking cool man you don't mess with your bro so after playing the hymn uh and I'm sorry I'm not actually playing it because it's a little too long for what I want to do but again I would definitely check out the soundtrack of this movie and the music is is fucking awesome uh but they play this hymn and they all pass out and it destroys all of their amps and kind of fucks up the instruments and everybody starts kind of turning into uh, demons, I guess, or the undead, one of the two. Uh, The boys themselves, they wake up a little later, and Brody has something to confess. Something fucked up happened, man. My head is throbbing. Something went wrong. It didn't work. What are you talking about, dude? (laughs) Wouldn't it be crazy if, if the music had something to do with demons? Demons. Demons. (laughs) see part of the translation that brody was doing it talked about summoning this demon that would give him great power and in his weakened state of getting his ass kicked and not being able to get the girl he thinks that maybe if they play the song all the way that he'll get the power that he needs to face everything that's out there and it is kind of a confession. At the same time, it's him kind of like, hey, hey guys, guess what? If it, what if this was demons? You know, hey, what's going on? It's not a totally true confession, but you see he's trying to get it out without being straightforward to everybody. So turn to the next day, and shit's kind of weird outside. Brody goes into the school's bathroom and goes to cleanse his face or wash his... I don't know. He goes to dip his hands and throws water in his face. And he's approached by... Some weird undead dude in sunglasses to which Brody really pays no mind. But he's there to bring him a message. What do you want, asshole? Come here, little trouble. It's Brody. They're getting louder. The black one is coming. He's going to suck out your intestines for a thousand years and use your rats as toothpicks. He's going to roast your nuts over an open fire while they're still attached, of course. 
Uh, no, Terry, you didn't mention it. It's pretty weird and actually kind of funny, especially the way that Terry here slides in and out of the screen. And the fact that Brody's just like, oh, that's just fucking Terry. Though his skin is like completely purple or like gray, like he's dead. He's wearing sunglasses. He's got blood that's falling out of his mouth. And Brody just doesn't think anything of it. It's a weird scene and the weird that's the way it's done. I, I guess it's just him being completely oblivious to the fact that, hey, guess what? Your song really did work and there are demons here now. Later on in the day, we are now in Zack's dad's garage with Brody and Zack, and they're chatting around. They go to see Zack's dad, who now has basically becoming a demon. He's behind, he has his back to them, I should say. And he's, like, shaking, and they're like, are you okay, are you okay? And then he turns around, and he rips his eyes out in a really cool effect. Uh, I have to say before I say anything else that the blood effects in this movie are pretty cool and pretty much all practical except for one and that's the only one that I don't like and I'll talk about towards the end of this movie but so he rips out his eyes and he starts going to attack uh, Zach Brody grabs a sandpaper uh, well sander I should say like a belt sander and then starts putting it on his dad's hands and messing it up then he puts it onto his dad's face and really fucks up his face. Uh, to which they fight him off. They throw him on the ground. And then Zack releases an engine that's been hanging up in the ceiling. And completely obliterates his dad's head. To which, you know... Zack believes... Should we check his pulse? He has a fucking engine for a head. I don't think he's going to be walking this one off, man. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be walking with this one off. But really, was that how you thought that your dad would go out, Zach? You know, it's weird, but I think he would have wanted to go out like this. His eyes ripped out, face grinded off, and then head mounted under a car engine. Totally. Yeah, because that's the way that I want to go if I'm that type of person. Of course, you know, his dad could have been a big metalhead, too, and he's just like, what's the most brutal way that I can go out, man? Like... I can turn into some, like, evil zombie and I'm going to attack my son. And then I can get a grinder to the face. And then my face is going to fly everywhere and I'm going to fall on the ground. And then my son, in his most righteous, last-ditch way to make sure that I get out of this world the way that I want, will drop a fucking engine on my face. And then he does. And... That's the way they want to go out. I don't know. I don't really want to go out that way. I don't think I really want to be turned into a demon. And then if I'm turned into a demon, I think I just want to keep killing all humans like some sort of crazy robot. I mean, that would be the way to go, right? Well, Brody, I almost said Zack at this point, but Brody, he uh, decides that he is going to confess and tell Zack a little more about that him. Fuck. Dude, dude, I'm so sorry. Fuck, man, this is all my fault, okay? I translated those pages, and, and, and they were all to do with, with summoning demons, okay? And now, people are turning crazy. Like, possessed. Crazy. You knew that was some black magic shit? And you didn't fucking tell me? I didn't want you to think I was crazy. It's a bit fucking late now, isn't it? This is fucking twisted, man. Fucking demons? Fucking demons, man. Like... Total demons, man. That's a bummer. Well, 
So there's really that kind of scene in general really reminded me of more of a Sam Raimi type of horror movie. And it definitely has a lot of homages in it in the way that some of the scenes are shot. But at this point, I kind of think it is basically like an Evil Dead type of script, right? So you have a hero who finds a evil document, whether it be the Necronomicon or this black hymn, and they read it, either they translate it and actually read it aloud, or in Brody's case, they translate it and he plays the music. Then all of a sudden, demons start popping up and he's summoning the end times. A bunch of people around them turn into demons and turn on them, and there are some people that are left okay, but they could turn it in at any point. You don't know when it's going to happen, and all we know is that there's going to be something kind of cataclysmic that's going to happen towards the end of the movie. If that's not Evil Dead, I don't know what is. And they're both funny movies. The difference is, is this is all about heavy metal music, and in that, that's all about the Necronomicon. So, it, and I, I'm not faulting it, because there's a lot of things and a lot of different you know, stories out there that are just interpreted it in a different way i just really feel like these two are so super similar that it's kind of funny to be honest and you know what do they say about imitation it's the best form of flattery so everybody's now becoming a zombie and uh we see giles and dion fighting off some people with paintballs and hulk hands Fucking Dion has Hulk hands. Hulk hands ain't gonna do shit to no demons or to no uh, bodies. Actually, you know what? I am getting a little ahead of myself, but we will come back to this scene. Actually, uh, Brody figures out the best way to go is actually to go talk to Abigail. Now, Abigail is this person that was inside Alien Records, and I guess she's some sort of medium that also works there. So they decide that they're gonna go... Uh, over to her and see if they can help her uh, figure out a way to reverse whatever he's done. Of course, she's already in a bad situation, and basically, she gives him the straight fucking truth. Abigail, we need to get you to a hospital, okay? It's too late. It's possessed their bodies. Whoa. Is that Satan? It is Aloth, king of the demons. Aloth? Sounds like a badass. These words were in music pages. The Black M. You have it. We fucking played it. Well, then you have fucked us all. Thanks for the pep talk there, Abigail. Really, they kind of get freaked out and they're trying to figure out, well, there's got to be some way that we could, you know, reverse this curse that's been brought upon the town and the summoning of the demon. She goes on a little more to talk about when this demon is, or king of the demons, is actually going to show up. And Zack asks a very, very poignant question. The possessed bodies kill all in their path in preparation for Aeloth's ascension on the next blood moon. The devil's hour. Shit. The moon is red tonight. When's the devil's hour? 3 a.m. Wait, 3 a.m. Pacific or Eastern time? Do demons recognize daylight savings? This is a question for every fucking, like, crazed, 
like prophecy out there what time zone do they happen in <laughs> like that's the easiest question i'm i actually this is my second favorite line in the fucking movie and probably my favorite fucking joke in the whole movie because honestly when you have this end of the world apocalypse type of prophecy this this is going to on may 25th 2017 the terrible terror podcast predicts the world will end fire and brimstone we're going to have satan come out and he's gonna line everybody up and then he's gonna poke him in the ass with his red hot fiery rod until he spews fire and blood all over their bodies and this is going to happen at exactly midnight and you know then may 25th comes around and wait who's midnight america's at midnight london or england's midnight japan's midnight australia's new zealand who the fuck which place you know right now if i'm gonna make that prophecy i'm gonna say it's fucking iran's midnight okay when it turns midnight in iran that's when satan's popping up out of the ground he's gonna give you his fire blood jizz you know but it's it's a great fucking line it's wonderful i i i don't know how much i laughed and how much I'm still laughing in my head about this line. It's amazing. Like, that that is a point that needs to be made with everything. Like, do demons recognize uh, daylight savings time? Is it Eastern or Pacific? Or maybe it's an Atlantic time zone. Or maybe it's a European, you know, crazy fucking time zone. What is it? You know, so... Of course, based upon this movie, it's 3 p.m. Or 3 a.m., I should say. Uh... As of New Zealand time, since this is where everything's actually happening. So she goes on and she begins to tell them about how they can actually stop this. And right before she says exactly how they have to do it, a hand just punches right through her back and out the front of her chest. And is holding her heart in a really cool effect. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I love practical effects and everything in this is basically practical. So... I was surprised that that wasn't something that was done via CGI. Uh, but it's really cool. They're not able to get what they need out of her, and they bolt. And uh, then that's when we meet up with Dion and Giles, who are fighting off the, the monsters in front of Brody's house with their Hulk hands and uh, <laughs> paintball gun. So he... Giles tries to fight off some of the zombies with the paintballs and shoots and shoots and shoots. And the, the well, I guess the zombie demon, I don't know what the fuck they are. All I know is that they don't have fucking eyes. So, I'm gonna, they're demons, okay? Well, let's get it right. Well, we'll call them demons for the rest of the podcast. So, he's trying to fight off the demon and the paintballs, of course, aren't doing anything. And then he asks Dion if he has any of his uh, dice. And so, he takes all the dice, puts them in the hopper of the paintball gun, and takes some... Uh, really quick shots of the dice at the demon and you think it's going to go down but of course it doesn't and right before it comes gets there here comes medina out of the middle of nowhere with a giant axe and just axes the fuck out of uh uh the uh what you call it the dude that's there uh the the, the demon the whatchamacallit i'm terribly sorry my mind is just going crazy still thinking about the daylight savings time thing so they talk together. They say, okay, well, the safest place for us to go is probably the school, so let's head there. 
Dion leaves a note on the door, and then we cut back to the boys, and they're driving the car. And Brody decides, uh, but before they, we go to that, we actually get to meet, uh, have a meeting in between the cultists and that demon Terry that later, or earlier on, threatened Brody. We need you to destroy the local decoy, Rexemonia. Destroy it? We came here to get it. Those who perform the Black Hem may try to reverse it before I lost ascension. Can't you destroy it? No! Only those who still have a soul can touch the pages. I do not. I have one condition. I want to become Aloth's vessel. It has to be me. His soul will bind with the blackest human soul nearby. A soul that will not resist his power. So at this point, the chick that was with him that... At first, I thought it was the actress that plays Melisandre in Game of Thrones, but it's totally not, uh, because uh, I'll explain a little more later on. But uh, she goes and she just stabs the shit out of the cultist leader dude's face. Like, she stabs him, he falls to his ground, and then she's like, who has a gag reflex now, and shoves the fucking knife down his throat, and it's really fucking cool. That's a great fucking line. Um, and she's now the one that's going to be the one that accepts the Demon King's body into her own when it happens later on in the film. Back in the car with Brody and Zack, they're discussing, well, Brody is figuring out what exactly he needs to do with the hymn. Maybe. Okay, okay, we're going to go back to my place, all right? We're going to get my guitar and the pages. I'm going to try and play this song back with Rob Halford style, man. I mean, it makes sense, right? Reverse all this shit? Fuck that. This town is shit. We've gone up to the lookout, rolling a three-skinner, pranking some Slayer, and watching this town burn to the fucking ground! Dude, what about Medina, Giles, and Dion? They could all still be alive. Those guys are dicks. Actually, they're some of the nicer characters in this fucking movie, and you're the fucking dick, Zach. So, there's a bit of a conference, uh, or conflict in between them, uh, Brody wants Zack to have him drop him out of the car. Uh, he gets him to stop by throwing his liquor out. And then Zack agrees, okay, I'll help you do this part. Even though he hates this fucking town. So they go back to Brody's house. As they're looking around, they see the dead demon guy in the front of the lawn. Zack sees the note from Dion and, and Giles and Medina on the door. And what does he do? But he did with the other fucking note. He crumples it up and throws it in his pocket so that Brody doesn't see it. Because really, he wants everything to be Brody and Zack. That's all it should be, right? So, they go inside the house, and what do they find? Both his aunt and uncle have become demons, and there's one of the wackiest fucking fight scenes I've seen in a movie in a long time. So, they, they kind of fight him off a little bit. And then when, well, before they start the fight, I should say, they go into his, well, they get kind of pushed into his aunt and uncle's bedroom, and they find a box marked church stuff, and it turns out that it's a bunch of fucking sex toys, and really raunchy things, giant dildos and anal beads, Uh, there definitely was a BBC in there, if you don't know what that is, please look it up, Uh, and... (laughs) Because they were trying to find a gun or something to fight with. So they decide that, hey, we're going to use the sex toys to fight off these guys. And it's a really 
this this is definitely cemented as a Sam Raimi uh like inspired movie because the way that they do the fight in between it it's very comedic it's very well done uh to the point that Brody actually goes outside and gets a chainsaw but when he comes back in he trips on the rug and almost slices himself uh and, and you got <laughs> I still laugh thinking about it. You got Zach whipping the guys with anal beads and uh he ends up getting dragged into the other room and killing the dad with a dildo. Uh the mom, she ends up getting killed with two she gets DP'd in both ears with two different dildos. It's really ridiculous. And then when they sit and they relax, that's the actual I believe, uh, and I could be totally wrong, but at this point, you see a shot of Brody on the ground covered in blood, and it's the same shot that we started the movie with. This is where I expected there to be some type of, and now here we are, you know, and that would have been in. But no, there's no other voiceovers from Brody for the entire film. I really felt it was something that was cut out. I would have liked to adhere at this point. But if it just didn't make sense to the overall flow of the movie, I can understand that too. Because it really doesn't matter what happens past this point. But this is the point where we were at the beginning of the movie. And now we're at this point. He's fucked everything. He's killed his aunt and his uncle. And all of a sudden, Cousin David shows up. What the fuck? Pretty sure he wasn't possessed. What? Oh, no. Of course he was. Because when he came in, he said uh, something about Satan. You didn't hear him say that? Okay, that's pretty funny, too. That's that, See, the scenes like this that make me really like the movie a lot. Uh, and then, the, again, he uses a modified um, weed whacker. Or no, he actually uses the chainsaw, I should say, in this thing. Because they modify a weed whacker next. Uh, but he uses a, the chainsaw to cut off his head. It's a practical effect again. And at the point that it happens, it it's so flawless the way that it goes. Because he says, basically, what the fuck? And then the chainsaw comes out and starts cutting into his face. And then you have the practical half a head left on the, the ground. And you see the body spurt up the blood and fall over. It's really good. The, the gore effects in this movie are fucking awesome. So they go out, they get to go gear up, and they become basically brutal as fuck uh, and start fucking up all the other demons in the area, finding the pages of it. And uh, there's one demon. Well, I guess if you're going to show nudity, you might as well show it both ways. So there's a demon that's walking around there, and he's just a dong demon. His fucking dick is just hanging out there. And Brody goes and he whacks it the fuck off. I mean, it's like an up-close shot. It's very painful to watch. Uh, Not just because it's a dick, but because it's getting lopped off by a weed whacker. And he totally fucking chops it down. And oh man, it still hurts thinking about it. But ultimately, they get all the pages together after they killed a bunch of demons. And now they have the black cam, so they decide... Where can we go to have the best array? Because they can't do it in his garage anymore where he first did it. Because if they played it backwards there, they don't have the amps. They all got blown out when they when he played it the first time. So they decide, we're going to go to the school. Because that's the place that has the best amps. So they go on over to the school. 
when they enter inside the school, who do they run into? Why, it's Medina. She's there. She's surprised that they're there. And uh, they also seem to run to Dion, who also is surprised that Brody has come oh, in. Brody! Told you that'd be okay. No, you didn't. You said they're probably dead already. You wanted dibs on his guitar. Ow. I found these guys outside your house. You were looking for us? Of course. <laughs> you got our note, right? No, I didn't see any note. So, they have now all rejoined together. Of course, when they walked in the room, Dion and Giles were playing D&D. You know, I guess that's the best to wait out until the apocalypse truly happens. Might as well play some fucking pen and paper games. Shit, might last you for a long time until the demons come in and rip apart your soul. Maybe that's not the best way to spend the last minutes of your life. Anyway, so... This gets a reunion between everybody and also gets Brody and Medina talking again. And he finds out some very special information about Zack. That's Zack's jacket. You need to get that? He, um, he lent it to me. He stopped by the other night to tell me that, um, you know, you weren't interested. What? The note that I gave Zack to give to you to meet me at the park at nine. I didn't get that note either. Okay, so now you know that Zack is a huge fucking dick. What are you going to do about it, Brody? Fucking wanker! You knew I liked her! Calm the fuck down, alright? I'm not even into her, I was just bored. Oh, well, that's supposed to make it fucking better? But what happened to Brotherhood of Steel? You know what, everyone was fucking right about you. You're a piece of shit. Fuck you! You let this happen by being such an insecure pussy. And... That insecure pussy line finally sends Brody over the edge, and he has his little battle with Zack. Mostly just Zack beating on his fucking face. Uh, it's not even a contest. I mean, it's cool, he finally got the balls to stand up to Zack and to stand up to everything they believed in. But, he gets his ass kicked, ultimately, by Zack. Zack, uh, ends up leaving the group, leaving him with a nice little tidbit. Good luck fighting evil without me, you're all gonna fucking die! That's right, death the false fucking metal, which I think actually you are, because if it's supposed to be a fucking brotherhood, you don't fuck with your brother's fucking woman. Uh, unless you're one of those meathead, I guess maybe it is within the realm of metal. I, I don't fucking know anymore. So, they all decide that they're going to go and uh, find the spot where, they, they can't really do it at the school, because the school doesn't have the, the quite the ampage that they need. And Zach, well, not Zach, Brody thinks, oh, where's the best place? Why, let's go back to where Ricky Daggers was, because he had all that fucking gear there. So they head on back to Ricky Daggers' place, and they're actually approached by the cultists. Can't tell if I have a fear boner or a boner boner. Oh, I didn't even say anything. Hit him. Listen, just let us go, okay? You don't know what you're doing. The whole town is overrun with fucking demons. We know exactly what we're doing. Give me the Vocadiquirex Demony. Ah, uh, it's actually pronounced the Vocadiquirex Daemonia. <laughs> that tongue wasn't meant for Latin. Oh, come on! The Black Hymn. Where is it? I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> well, don't tell this Benson family come look at anything pretty. Okay, that's also one of the best retorts in the fucking movie. There's so many good little lines in this movie that I fucking love. Uh, and it's... 
it's kind of a weird situation because after this, the Colts explains exactly why uh, Brody, to the rest of the group, why Brody did it. And it was because he wanted the power. He wanted to be able to be a strong man and not a weak man and, you know, get that demon's power, get everything that he wanted to. And that's exactly what these cultist people are after at the same time. So he, the, uh, she ties them all up. Well, she has her goons tie them all up. And they're put upstairs while the whole ritual is beginning. Uh, she's also teared up all the pages because, of course, he didn't want Medina to get killed. Even though she was saying, just let her do what she wants. Uh, I'll be fine. Uh, this comes again to one of the more heartfelt realizations or admissions from Brody in the movie. I never meant for this to happen, okay? I just want to let you know that. I was desperate. I, I just... I felt so fucking powerless. You are not powerless, Brody. You can still stop this. I know you can. And this is kind of like the final part of the transformation of Medina going from preppy girl to metal chick. Uh, there was actually a funny scene that I kind of glanced over. Uh, and I went back and I watched it and there wasn't really else much to do. But she goes like, yeah, let's go get him. And then she puts up the horns, but she puts up the hang loose sign and he changes it over to the metal horns. It's silly, but it's her you know, starting her full transition into being metal chick versus being the pop chick so they're all trapped upstairs they're worried what's going to happen are they going to be a sacrifice you know they're going to be killed moment that the demon king shows up and then guess who decides to pop back into the picture i thought you were off to the lookout to watch the town burn realized i couldn't lure my mate in the shit not with all these demons to mega kill metalhead stick together right whoa wait you decided that you wanted to help us, and then you went and applied makeup? Well, how long did that take? Like, 10, 15 minutes? It's not makeup, it's fucking corpse paint. We're going into battle? Okay. Well, you look adorable. Really brings out your eyes. Okay, there we go again. There's that's This movie's so self-referential that it's great. That's another one of the lines I love in this movie, where she's like, oh, how long did that take you put on? Like, seriously, you decided to help us and that's going to take you 50 minutes when you could have just turned around and come and fucking help it, helped us instead of putting on your fucking corpse paint? Really? Really? Well, so they go downstairs. Uh, you see Dion grab a samurai sword and then, you know, Giles and the rest of them, they all go downstairs to stop the cultists from doing what they're going to do. Uh, and then it sucks because... Dion gets his head ripped off by demons. He doesn't really even do anything with the samurai sword. I thought he was going to kind of become some more like badass because, hey, I know how to use this sword. But instead, he just dies. Giles tries to fight off the demons while they're trying to figure out how to do the song backwards. And he gets his arms ripped off in a pretty cool effect as well. But then Giles is dead. Man, that sucks. So both nerds got to fucking die when they didn't really need to. So there's still, Brody's still there and he's still trying to figure out how to play everything and Zack's fighting off all the other demons that are coming in and trying to stop everything. Uh, it hits 3 a.m. The Melisandre lookalike uh, rips off her fucking clothes and the reason I know it's not Melisandre without looking up because that's not her tits. So uh, you get that and now you get the worst 
death effect in the fucking movie where Zack plunges his saber through the chest of the cultist leader, the new cultist leader. And it just looks terrible, honestly. Everything has been so cool, and this just seems like, well, we couldn't do it right, so this is the effect that we're going through for, at least for this this one. Now, uh, you may have heard it earlier, and it was from Abigail, or maybe I didn't capture one of the scenes, I'm not sure, but the Demon King, when it gets summoned, it gets put into the most evil person uh, in the area. So the Demon King comes down, and you want to guess, just guess, who the Demon King decides to go into? Well, if you didn't guess it, it's Zack, the most obvious fucking one. So he becomes the key Demon King, because now he's possessed, and he starts attacking both Brody and Medina. They try to fight him off, and they, they're going through the whole thing, and the demon's talking shit to them, and they're going back and forth, and finally... Uh, Brody gets the the spirit in his heart to fight back, grabs his guitar and starts playing it, but he doesn't play the hymn backwards. Instead, what he does, he plays the metal that's in his heart, and the metal in his heart is able to drive back the King of Demons into submission enough for Zack to tell uh, Brody that he needs to kill him. <laughs> Zack, you're... Thanks, man. And it'll walk me back. Jordan, hold him up. It's gonna destroy everything. Dude, fight it. You gotta be strong. I mean, you're the strong one, remember? I can't. He's too powerful. Finish me. Quickly, come on. Take over again. Man, I can't, I can't. You have to, there's no other way. Send him back to hell. And it's at the, that point that Brody uses the Blood Brother razor that they used in the beginning of the movie to slice open Zack's neck and kill him, sending the demon back down to hell along with Zack. Medina manages to survive, so the two of them are now together. And we get a sign on the screen that it's also pretty funny, which it says two months later, but they put a subtitle on it because, again, they use the you know logo of sticks to tell you exactly which one... Uh, how many months has passed the house is up for sale and they're both in the bedroom medina's finally now a cool metal chick that has a tattoo that was drawn by brody smokes the everything that's stereotypically metal about her she now is um she's gonna go leave for the day which leaves uh brody alone things start going weird in the room and then we end the movie Kidding, 
And that, my friends, is Deathgasm. A very fun, funny romp. Uh, And I say romp (laughs) totally uh, oddly. I don't know why I said romp, to be honest with you. But I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, There are some negatives that I do have. Uh, The... The biggest thing is the plot. The plot is very paper thin. It just kind of gets you from point A to point B. uh, And things just kind of disappear that are talked about and never happen again. You know, uh, it's just, it's also kind of very generic. It's a very generic storyline of boy finds something. Boy is weak. Boy wants power. Boy decides to use uh, something to gain him power. Things go to shit. And then he has to save the world from that and find himself within that. There, Like I said, there's a lot of really cool little philosophies of metal in this film, which I very much enjoyed. Uh, and the best one I played right in the middle of it. It truly does reflect the culture pretty well. But it does reflect it from kind of a younger age, I would say, of... Of people, I mean, if you talk to a lot of the older metalheads, some of the 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 music that's referenced maybe isn't up their style. You know, you want more of an old '80s thrash type of uh, metal, and it's not as well re- representative. But it's cool to see a bunch of bands represented through T-shirts, posters, albums, uh, and even Poison gets made fun of in this film, which is pretty damn funny. The dialogue itself is written well most of the time, but sometimes it's just very. Eh. The stereotypes between the characters, like I said, the stereotype of Brody, the stereotype of Zack, even the stereotype of Medina, uh, who becomes a badass metal chick from this wholesome, like, pure white girl. She, I mean, everything she's wearing is white. And then at the end of the film, she's transitioned, she looks like a metalhead. But she does kind of look like a little one of those poser metalheads, if you know what I mean. The ones that have the teased hair and, you know, they're... They're metalheads in fashion and not necessarily music. But that's not to say that this character is. I'm not trying to make those type of judgments. I'm just trying to tell you what the look is like. Now, for gore in this movie, it's a 5 out of 5. Except for the one at the end of the movie. Every effect for gore in this movie is fantastic. I love the practical effects. Uh, I think it's great. It brings a B-movie cheesiness to it that I felt this film needed. Uh, And the fact that the film was very tongue-in-cheek and knew about itself, that helped it very, very well. Fun factor, it's a 4 out of 5. There's only a couple little things. There's a couple continuity errors. There's a couple of uh, the way that it's cut. It jumps a little bit, and it takes you out of it. you know, I, I wish some things had been done differently in terms of character progression. I really wish Giles and Dion hadn't been killed. Uh, I guess for the film it needed to be, but I I just felt like their deaths were pointless, and at least they should gone out fighting. Versus, uh, I felt Dion went out like a fucking coward. Uh, it, it sucks, and he went out like a punk. Um, but the the big fight between him and uh, his aunt and uncle was great. How he killed his cousin uh, without a blink and knowing that he wasn't a demon was very funny uh, and very well done. I mean, I had a lot of fun. And again, the soundtrack of this movie is fucking killer. I believe you can f- definitely find it on iTunes. You might even be able to stream it on services like Spotify or Apple Music. But I would definitely check it out. Go check it out on YouTube uh 
And there are uh, a couple bands on of uh, the bands in the movie are on Twiz- Twitter. If you search, blah, can't talk at the end of the podcast for some fucking reason. But if you search out the hash- hashtag Deathgasm, you can definitely find some of the bands that were related to the film. And I would definitely check it out if you're big into metal. Now, the craft factor of this movie it is a three. Uh, the plot, like I said, is weak, and the characters are weak. Uh, I wish. There was more growth uh, kind of shown with Brody because he still ends up being kind of a punky pussy character at the end of the film. You know, when he can't put down Brody right away. But that is kind of his changing point. uh, And when you realize that he's a new person, but he's not truly. I mean, he still seems like the same guy. Now, I heard there's going to be a sequel to this movie, and I'm definitely wanting to check it out when it actually, if it hits the U.S. theaters, <clears throat> I definitely will check this out in the theater versus waiting for it to hit Netflix or uh, DVD or some type of streaming service. So, now, for our next film, I had one lined up, but I decided to change it uh, because I started hearing uh, uh, something with Justin Long in it, and I thought... Wait a second. You know, there's a really good horror movie with Justin Long in it. And there's also a really bad sequel to that movie. So, next week, it's the sequel. Billy, you check the other two. Make sure they're wired up good. A lot of good they're doing. thing was making sure we couldn't get out. All you kids, get down! It isn't dead. Looks dead to me. Jeepers Creepers 2. So yes, next episode, it will be Jeepers Creepers 2. The first one surprised the living crap out of me at how good it actually was. And then this lump of shit came out. So don't forget that you can always follow the podcast on Twitter at 
T underscore T underscore podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Terrible Terror Podcast on Facebook. Uh, and uh, this movie is available, I believe, on YouTube. Um, it's available to rent. Uh, I don't know if it's actually available to watch. I thought I saw one up there, but you can definitely check it out. It's also available on iTunes and other streaming services. I'm not sure Netflix. I think the original is, but I don't think the sequel is. Uh, but there are ways out there that you guys can definitely join along and watch it with me. So thank you very much for checking out the podcast. As always, I appreciate everything. And if you have any ideas for movies that you'd like me to check out, you can always send an email to, to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you, and we'll see you next episode for Jeepers Creepers 2. Bye-bye. So, what's it like being dead? Hell is awesome. Like, meet some music legends. Dio, Kurt Cobain, Dimebag, John Bonham, Paul McCartney. Oh. Yeah, the true, true mayhem have reunited, too. So cold, dude. <sighs> Fucking brutal ass. Anyway, the band. You gotta keep playing, dude. <sighs> yeah, but everyone's dead. We can't keep calling ourselves Deathgasm. Doesn't feel right. Alright, then we'll change it. How about band source circumcision? Intesticide? But like bestiality bliss. Yeah, how about birth canal boat riders? The god buggers. How about David Bain's... Sp-